coming up this week off screen. Gerard Butler leads the gods of Egypt. There's a conjuring in Enfield. The barbershop has a fresh cut. Animation goes a long way north. Sam Hayek leads a tale of tales. Britt Marlin takes us to the keeping room. Christina of Sweden is the girl king. And Aidan Moffat wonders where you're meant to be. All those to come and more off screen. This is this is off screen. Off screen. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. Case Allen. So, are you liking having your own microphone? It's the first time in a this while. This is great. Yeah, it's yeah. fun, isn't it? Really we enjoy it. Little, little, less of a Mickey Mouse operation. So, mm. uh, right, we should talk about not Mickey Mouse, but another semi-Disney property. Big news this week. So, before we start with reviewing the films and doing the the rest of the film all the news things that you know and love, all the things you know and love, <laughs> uh, let's talk about the 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 next big Disney, but not really Disney film, which is mm. of course Spider-Man: Homecoming, which is out. Is it next summer? That's it. It is. Yeah. July? Is it July 2017? July 2017. Yeah. So Spider-Man's going to be Tom Holland, whom we've seen introduced in uh, Captain America: Civil War. And he War. was great. He was, wasn't he? he was yeah. amazing. He was, he was the Pete that everyone's wanted. He was. He yeah. he was the PD we all we all needed. <laughs> not not the hero we deserved, but the hero we needed. Hero we needed. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's, that's a different superhero. That's a different yeah. superhero. But of course, there's someone else been added to this <clears> cast, and, <throat> it, and it's big news. It's not Michael Keaton. We already knew about him. It's not Robert Downey Jr. We already we knew, knew about him. him. We, I'm still celebrating him. But <laughs> <laughs> your entire life is celebrating. <laughs> okay, there we are. But of course, we're talking about none other than Donald Glover. Yeah. Who most of us know as 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 being not the son of Danny of Danny Glover, but in fact being uh, well one half of the uh, the infamous duo Troy and Abbott in the morning communities Troy Barnes and you were saying earlier it's it's funny we're now getting all the community cast turning up in in mm. Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah. films he's in there his role's being kept a secret which I think is there is, was a big uh, uh, big kind of fan campaign a good few years ago they to get him to, actually to be, be Spider Man yeah. yeah but that was Miles the, Morales I that think, was the yeah. he was wasn't he black Hispanic the character, yeah, that's that's what one Miles Morales is. Yeah, and yeah, mm. that, that was that was kind Which of would have worked. But yeah. he yeah. did get to voice the character though for Ultimate Spider-Man on yes, Disney XD. True. This was like his uh, his his you know consolation prize, if you will. Yeah. But uh, okay, so you know we've we've kicked off with something good, so let's talk about something bad. But uh, <laughs> so this this of course comes with uh, you know a bit of backstory. So it, it, it's a backstory. <laughs> there is a prologue. There is yeah. a prologue to the first review of the week, which is to say, okay, so back in uh, well at the end of last year, we knew that you know come February we were going to see the U.S. release of the film Gods of Egypt, and then three or you know th- <clears throat> nearly three four weeks later we were going to get a U.K. release. Okay, that that was what happened. That, that was the idea. And then? So then they debuted uh, the first trailer for it, and there was a little bit of a backlash because people weren't exactly happy about the idea that this movie was set in ancient Egypt, had ancient mm. Egyptians and, and ancient Egyptian gods, and all of them were, were, were white people, which isn't yeah. really... Scottish guy. A Scottish Jamie guy. Lannister. Is he Swedish, Danish? I think he's Danish. Is he Danish? I've probably got it wrong. You've got an Australian lead, uh, Elodie Young. I don't even... Where's Elodie Young from? No one knows. I thought she was French. Uh, I could French. be wrong. Okay, yeah. so, so, okay, there was a big, you know, whitewashing... It was called race bending. That was the thing. It, yeah. It's the latest incident of race bending. And then? So then the filmmakers, you know, basically Alex Proyas, who brought us The Crow, apologised 
apologised for it. Said, you know what? We should have done better. Yeah. I apologise. Our bad. It Our was bad. the opposite of what Ridley Scott did with Exodus. Oh, yeah. Where <laughs> he, he basically said, I couldn't get it funded with Mohammed, whoever. Yeah, he That's said, said Mohammed, what's his name? Mohammed, what's his name? Okay, yeah. Don't, shut yeah, up, Ridley. Don't do that. Okay, so <laughs> he, he just took, he took the blame. It was fine. The film then came out and didn't do very well at all. It made like 14 million in its opening weekend. It really underperformed, and the critics tore it to pieces. And then? So then, Alex Proyas did what any sane filmmaker does in in 2016, which is to uh, blame the critics. He course, blamed us all. Yeah. In fact, he called us all diseased vultures uh, picking at the carcass, which was a sort of roundabout way of declaring his film yeah. to actually be a carcass. Yeah, it, it was already dead. It was it, it was dead. away. So yeah. he went on his he went on his rant. Um, the film's release in the UK was mysteriously cancelled without any comment whatsoever, mm. and nobody gave the film any thought whilst we all waited for Batman v Superman to start, so we could be told <laughs> that critics were worthless all over again. And then... So then, on May the first, every tech <laughs> blog suddenly reported that the film had been leaked online. Mm. Not only leaked online, it had been leaked online onto torrent in every format you can imagine. Hmm. So it came out in 720p, it came out in standard definition, it came out in 1080p, it even came out in 3D. The film hadn't been released anywhere in these formats. So where had it been leaked from? Nobody knows to this day. From Alex Poyas's Mac? From, no, nobody knows. Nobody knows. And then... then the even stranger thing happened, that the film mysteriously got announced two days later in a press release that every journalist in the UK received telling us, oh, it's now going to get a release towards the end of June, which is the week we're in now. This release, of course, coming two days after it had been leaked online. And then nothing. Nobody cares and nobody likes the film. It's a movie. So this is the review now, by the way. Yeah, That is finished. That's finished. Yeah. We've done the preamble. We've done, we've done the joke from 16 years ago. It was it been 16 years since Dude was my car 15 to 16 15 to 16 least. yeah okay <laughs> but it's a classic it's timeless yeah of course yeah. but uh yeah so the film's come out nobody cares no. nobody who's seen it likes it and the stars are trying to like just distance themselves from I, I it think so. no and, one's and, done yeah, any interviews. no interviews no. no nothing and it's probably for the best having because we've both seen this film yes and okay so let, let's start <laughs> with the plot then and then we'll get to a clip so you've got a uh, young aladdin type figure um, let's just call him aladdin let's call him aladdin except yeah. his name is beck not the musician. Not the really musician yeah. whom I would much rather have seen starring in this I'd film. Love to see that Beck would have been this. hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> you've got a young a young Egyptian thief named Beck who all he lives for his girlfriend, mm. who I forget the name of the actress, but she's a proud supporter of the ancient Egyptian push up bra industry. Uh, I had that pointed out to me. <laughs> and, uh, he is present at the coronation of the new Egyptian king, the god mm. Horus, because mm. gods are also kings in this in this timeline, which is yeah, very that's, weird. That's thing. quite an important part of the plot. Yeah, yeah, okay. So at the coronation of Horus um, Who's also a god. Who's also a god. And gods, by the way, are ten are ten or twelve feet tall and bleed gold in this They bleed gold, yeah. Yeah. Horus is played by uh Nikolai Costa Waldo, by the yeah. way. Uh, Beck is played by Brenton Thwaites <laughs> from Oculus. At the coronation of Horus, his uh, his reclusive and exiled uh, self self exiled, I think, uh, uncle Set, played by Gerard Butler 
Yes, that Gerard Butler shows up, massacres the former king and queen, mm. removes his nephew's eyes, which are the source of his power, yeah. because he never misses. I think that's the thing. He... Yeah, I guess there's, there's loads of weird there's shots loads from of, his yeah. perspective. It and, like goes through uh, his eyes. Exactly. Yeah. So he he takes over. He's the new king, and he enslaves all of Egypt. <clears throat> and actually, we'll tell you the rest. But here's a clip. Your royal treasury has been breached. Ursu. Wasn't the eye meant to lure those loyal to Horus to their deaths? Yes, Lord. And weren't your traps? What was the term you used? Thief-proof. Yes, Lord. Can you pick up the trail? I'll find him. And find whichever of his allies was clever enough to steal back his eye. It was a mortal, Lord. A mortal. In my defense, Lord. Believe me, I'm very curious to hear what your excuse is. But not right now. Yes, Lord. Well, it appears you're not the cleverest mortal in Egypt after all. This thief is. That is Gerard Butler with a Scottish accent as an ancient Egyptian. <laughs> so he's, this is the thing because it's very strange that no, that no, everybody agrees that that Gerard Butler is the best thing about the film. Mm. I never thought I would hear those yeah. words. Accent, notwithstanding. Exactly. Yeah. We'll get to because there are serious flaws. Right. <laughs> this is one of the most misguided films you will ever see. It's not surprising that the director of it has had to lash out at critics because this film never. Stood a chance. It's not surprising it was delayed without, uh, you know, ceremony because it never stood a chance. It's not surprising that uh, th- th- you would want this to be released as quietly as possible because it never stood a chance. It's for one thing, it's really dull. It is really, really dull. It has got action set pieces, but they're so overloaded with really poor computer animation mm. that, frankly, you don't care. It's like watching a video game cutscene. It really is, yeah. And that's the thing. Um, we should finish the plot, which involves, of course, you know, the thief taking one of Horace's eyes, giving it back to Horace, yeah. and the pair setting out it's, to kill. It's basically like Seth a like and... a buddy movie, yeah. like a road trip. For now, that would be great. Egypt. Yeah. Except the writers of it, who are relative unknowns, and their their names, incidentally, um, I have to. Oh, I can't remember what their actual names were. Uh, they are the writers, weirdly, one of Sharpless. Yes, Burke yeah. Sharpless and Matt Sazama. And they are the writers. Burke Sharpless. I know. They are the writers name. of The Last Witch Hunter. Um, oh, which right. is an infinitely better movie yeah. than this. I mean, not, not a great movie. Not a great movie, but, you know, a lot better than this. And mm. they are also the writers of the upcoming Power Rangers movie, which now fills me with dread and oh, fear. No. <laughs> so, um, Gerard Butler, under about eight tons of fake tan, yeah. he's got the Scottish accent as well, which is just even weirder. Um, and yet, he seems to be the only one putting in any effort. Nikolai Costa Wallace seems to have given his dialogue coach the week off. Ditto mm. for Elodie Young, who most of us know can do a British English accent better than this because we've all seen Daredevil. Yeah. Which she's great in. She's a great, she's great in great there. Lecture. But the weirdest, weirdest thing about this is why is everyone English to begin with? Yeah. So you've got, they're all putting on this. It, it's the, you know, it's the ancient kingdom of Britain. It's the with pyramids. It's yeah. very strange. And then Jeffrey Rush. And then Jeffrey Rush turns up to do his Werner Herzog impression. Yeah. And he does look weirdly like Werner Herzog. It's and he fights either. a space whale. And that's that's his job. That's by his the way. his job is yeah. to fight a space whale all day long. He's, he's on some kind of weird spaceship boat thing. Which is it meant to be heaven? I don't know. Um, yes. This is the thing though. So Alex Proyas, his this is, it reminded me a lot of uh, Warcraft in this way. He's got no directorial directorial stamp on it whatsoever. Mm. He mm. seems to have been entirely asleep at the 
wheel during this, in the same way that Duncan Jones is cerebrally absent from Warcraft. You've got the same thing here with Alex Poirier. And let's not forget, this is the man who brought us The Crow and Dark City, and yeah. even iRobot. Even iRobot had right. more charisma than this. This goes on for two hours and seven minutes, after which <laughs> the, the only real positive you can give it is it ends. It is one of the dullest, most unpleasant to look at, uninteresting, unengaging, and unenthralling summer tentpole movies you have ever seen. And it's hardly surprising because this wasn't intended to be a summer release. This was intended to be. It's supposed to be February. This was supposed to be. Yeah. I you put it on a sleepy week in February. And Just it, sweep it out underneath the rug. Exactly. And yeah. instead, it's awful. And no, it's one of the worst films you will see this year. It manages to outdo even Batman v Superman in terms of being boring, melodic nonsense. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back to the sounds of Jurassic World. Jurassic Park, Jurassic World... I will go with Jurassic Park. I'll go with Jurassic Park. Okay, so should we should we start the top ten for the week? Why the heck not? Number ten. The Jungle Book. Which, you know what, it, it, it's week it's ten next in. week. It's, it's week ten in. next week, and oh. it's at number ten. So I don't think we're going to have to make good on our, uh, our threat to... Oh, uh, shucks. <laughs> ...to sing the bare necessities somehow. And, you know what, I, I, I really want to see this film again. I'm such a big fan of The Jungle Book. Uh, I I know John Coulson, we were talking to last week, wasn't overly enamoured no, with it, but he, but he was a childhood fanatic of, of the original Disney. As was I. It and was I, it was my grand's favourite Disney. Yeah, so it, it's a weird yeah. kind of thing, isn't it? And yet I've never really taken to Disney's animated Jungle Book, and yet I really love the live action mm. one. And I think I it, prefer it. I do I as well. It. But I say I wasn't really a fan to begin with. It is an all round perfect family film, though, and I think everyone should see it the first chance they get. But please don't see it this week and don't keep it in the top ten because we don't want to have to make good on a certain threat next week. Number nine. <laughs> Mother's Day was about three months ago. It was. It's about three months ago, but the film is here. A little bit late, Gary. A little bit late. (laughs) A little bit gate road. A little bit late, Gary Marshall. Um, (laughs) Yes, the the film is now here, and I think we all wish it wasn't. It's really unfunny. It's really unsatisfying. It's really unengaging. And Julie Roberts' hairstyle. And Julie Roberts' hairstyle. And this is before you've even gotten to the outfits they give her as well, because at one point she wears a cloak. And a fashion cloak. A fashion cloak. Is there any other kind of cloak? Exactly. But it is. I, I didn't laugh once. Once um, there are certain jokes to do with race and interracial marriage that, because they're not funny, just come across as unintentionally hate-filled. <laughs> and you sit there and think, "I feel bad for the actors having to deliver this because it just comes across as hate-mongering." But uh, yeah, I mean, if there's a positive to, to to give it, it's at least got Asif Manvi in it, and he's always nice to. It's always nice yeah, to see him. Like him. It's always nice to see uh, Hector Elizondo embracing his love of uh, concierging. Number eight. Angry Birds, and that is not even the most catchy theme that we have coming up in the top ten. It's not, is it? Because you, you personally put one in earlier, yeah. so this, this is going to get interesting. And I really mm. like Angry Birds. I think there's a lot of fun to be had with it. There's a lot of humour and a lot of laughs. Um, surprising, very minor, but surprising amount of heart to it as well. For a film that's crafted, you know, that its conception is so cynical, its delivery isn't quite as cynical as you would think. And I know people have been snooty about it, but I look at, hey, it's got one of the writers of The Office working on it, and he knows how to play with cynical, and he 
does it so well. And to that end, you have Jason Sudeikis, who also knows how to play with Cynical, because that's his entire career, that's it shtick, seems. Really. That's his shtick, yeah. yeah. And then you've got Josh, Josh Gad, who has never met a cynicism he doesn't want to embrace and bounce around energetically on top of. You know what? Watch it. You'll have some fun. The kids will love it. End of. Number seven. The Boss. You saw this, didn't you? I saw this yesterday. You saw this yesterday. What did you think of it? Uh, I thought it was just fine. I thought it was better than Tammy, not as good as her things that she does with Paul Feig. I I actually think the same of that. Yeah, I think it's pretty common... Did yeah. you find, like I did as well, though, the, the the better, the bigger laughs were in the character moments, in the moments with her, with Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Bell? Yeah, um, but only because their chemistry works really well. Their chemistry together. works really well, but there was some great writing in there as well with things like I have discovered these things called Doritos. I, don't know, I found that to be quite lazy. I liked really. all that. I thought it was just like, hey, these are things that we all consider to be normal. It's like when you go see someone like, like Lee Evans or Michael McIntyre, and he's like, oh, it's a thing that I'm doing as well. Let's all find it hilarious. I, it was a bit like that. Do you have old remote controls as well? Exactly. Exactly <laughs> that. Number six. The Nice Guys. You, know, you, you were a bigger fan of this than I was. I certainly was. I mean, you, you didn't hate it. You I didn't did, hate it. I liked like it. it. I liked yeah. it, but I didn't think it was as funny as, as Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I think it's his own it's his own beast. There, there were going to be some similarities, going to be comparisons towards it. I think that the more slapsticky tone definitely works with the setting, with the 70s setting. Great 70s soundtrack as well. Well, you are the, you are the man for soundtracks. You know, Apparently between, so, Between yeah. the pair of us. So. <laughs> uh, speaking of, of audio, we should talk about the podcast real quick. Drop Let's the podcast plug. Yep. Uh, because obviously we don't get to fit everything into the, the, the radio we, show. We are, own, we are but two men. We are but two men. Yeah. And uh, well, we have eight releases to cover this week. And no, we only get, only we so only much. Yeah, we only get time to cover five in the actual show. So there's three that we we bump to uh, you know the podcast extras. And obviously one of those can't be the, the film of the week because we have to put them in the radio edition anyway. But uh, yeah, if you want to hear the full and unedited version... Uh, download the podcast. You can go on onscreenfilm.com or go on iTunes, Acast, Stitcher, any of the any of those things. TuneIn even has us. We're, we're just everywhere. We're just we're, we're everywhere. Yeah. That, that's it. We're, we're overexposed. You see, that's just where it is. <laughs> we're overexposed. We're like a Nicki Minaj song. We're just everywhere. Overplayed. Uh, go and download the podcast and listen to the extended version then, because nothing's more fun than being over overplayed and extended. True. Again, like Nicki Minaj, but uh, so let's talk. About... She's going to be in a film later as well. She is as well. Yeah. And I was—I'm mostly unfamiliar with Nicki Minaj. I've got to be honest. Uh, so that that was an experience. Uh, so let's talk about the Keeping Room then. Oh yeah, I don't really know too much about this. Do you not know about this? No. Okay, bra- F- film in, bro. Brace film yourself because you're going to love this. Right. So the Keeping Room is the new film from Daniel Barber. Uh, Daniel Barber is a relatively unknown filmmaker. His his first real uh, feature film was Harry Brown in 2010. Oh yeah, you remember? Yeah, uh, Harry Mike, Brown. Yeah, Michael yeah. Caine does Death Wish. And it was really good. Yeah, I enjoy that. So what he's done now is he's got a feminist Western... Not where I expected him to go. N- not not no. me. No, me neither. I, I had no idea. Feminist Western. So this is the story of, uh, during the Civil War, uh, Augusta, played by uh, Britt Marling, is uh, looking after her younger sister, Haley Steinfeld. Uh, they live with, uh, she's either a former slave or she's their slave, I'm never entirely sure, named Mad. And uh, when the younger sister is injured one day, she's bitten by a raccoon, she's, uh, she, she's pretty quickly, she, it was that kind of a time. She's during the Civil War. How, how big of a raccoon are we talking? Massive one, given the wound. Um, like the size of a cow. Either Haley Steinfeld is just very, very small, or they have very big raccoons. One or the other. <laughs> Frankly, you don't see the raccoon, so you it's don't just, get. He's off. Yeah, it's just yeah. a mystery. Right. So the men are off, at, you know, off in the Civil War doing their thing. Augusta goes out in search of medical help for her younger sister Louise, um, and along the way encounters two uh, two Union soldiers who've gone rogue. One of whom is played by Sam Worthington. But bear that in mind because that's going to be a compliment I deliver later. 
I know. Sam Are you giving a compliment I'm to Sam Worthington? In about a minute's time, I'm going to give a compliment to Sam Worthington. I'm, I'm sat down. I'm ready I'm, for I'm glad you, I can see you on the edge of your seat. Literally I am. Perched. Right. So the two Union soldiers attempt to have their way with uh, young Augusta. Mm. She manages to escape by the skin of her teeth, gets all the way home with the medical attention her sister needs, and before you know it, said soldiers uh, come a-knocking. They have tracked her down, and they're out for blood. And it falls to, well, basically two and a half women, because you've got two and one incapacitated. Two and a half women to defend their home from the soldiers. Here's a clip. If it's moonshine and me, I'm to ask any question you got. What's it feel like? You don't know. What if I don't? What if all the men kill all the other men? What if it's the end of the world and we the last ones left? Ain't the end of the world. Think about all the women sitting in their houses. We're supposed to be taken, but ain't. Learn to shoot a gun before they learn to bed. Learn to be a man instead of a wife. We've only got about a minute and a half on this, so I'll, I'll be as quick as I possibly can. Mm. This was originally conceived uh, for uh, Olivia Wilde. Mm. And you, yeah. and you can sort of see how that would work in the film. Britt Marlin, though, great replacement. Yeah. Really great. She doesn't I, seem to get like, enough lead roles. Now, this is the thing, because it, you, you feel like Britt Marlin is sort of biding her time until she gets that big mainstream breakout role that she's so clearly needed. Get, get a in need franchise of. or something, yeah. Not even that, just a big mainstream thriller, because she doesn't do mainstream. The yeah. East is probably the most mainstream <sighs> thing she's done. That's what I know done. from, yeah. yeah. The East. I know from the Danny Boyle series Babylon as well, which oh, she's course. great yeah, yeah. in. Um, this is the thing, you've got a really, really great level of writing here, and this is by Julia Hart, who Again, relative unknown, and uh, this she's clearly going to be someone to watch because the, the script here is dynamite. You've then got uh, uh, Daniel Barber as well, mm. who comes to it having come from uh, a film like Harry Brown with all the visceral intensity that you could possibly want. So this veers between being a character drama and an outright action thriller at times, and it's twisty and it's turny and it's suspenseful. It's and got a really good kind of handle. It has. Handle you never it, yeah. know when it's going to where it's going to go, and if you like. A good drama, you can sit and watch this film and not be off put by the action. If you want an action film, you can sit and watch it and not be put off by the drama. It works for everyone. Every box is ticked. And along the way as well, you also get... Is um, this for Sam Worthington compliment? Yeah, well, you this get Sam it. Worthington as a villain, and he's good! He's actually good uh, as a villain! Well, shut the front door. But uh, British, uh, there's a British newcomer, uh, Muno Otaru, uh, who mm. plays Mad. She's terrific. With the latest film news and reviews... This is Offscreen. And we're back with a bit of Top Gun. So, uh, should we uh, should we look at uh, the Reconjuring Man? Why didn't they call it that? I know, why not? Although I do Come notice on, that Wan. in the UK it's called The Conjuring 2, The Enfield, the Enfield. Case. I don't oh, know is it Benfield Case or Enfield Haunting? No, no, it's the Enfield, Enfield case. case right? The Sky Atlantic miniseries was called the Enfield Haunting. That's why I've got that from. That's right, why. Yeah. Now, this is an interesting point, because the Enfield case, because all the stories that the Conjuring is allegedly based on, um, the, event, the investigations of Ed and Lorraine Warren, which is what we got last time around with the Conjuring, yeah. and what we get this time around, mm. they are apparently true stories. Well, she is still around. She's still alive. Exactly. Yeah, but say, so they, they get some degree of, of, uh, of input, because they actually get to contribute their own side. Um, and the Enfield case is quite a well-known incident. It's, it, I would say it's second to the Amityville. It has been called the British Amityville. Mm. And uh, so what you get is a retelling of the Enfield case that opens with the Amityville horror. 
So because Amazing. there's some, such a similarity, this takes... So four years after the first Conjuring, you have the events of Amityville, and that's where the film opens. It then flashes forward another three years to the events of Enfield. And the idea is that in the intervening three years, there's been the, the media whirlwind surrounding uh, the Amityville case. The Warrens have sort of become D-list celebrities, and they're brought on to endless talk shows where paranormal investigators, you know, pick them to pieces because... Uh, sorry, not... Uh, Scientists, general scientists, not paranormal. Yeah. Scientists will pick them to pieces for their paranormal stuff on live TV, and they're getting sick of it. And into this mix comes the events of Evenfield, and the Warrens basically being dispatched on behalf of the church, of all people, to investigate on their behalf. Here's a clip that sort of sets up, it, sets up the story from the, the Warren side. No, this is not your house. Now, what's your name? Knock, knock. Very well. Who's there? Bill, 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 Bill. Bill who? My name is Bill Wilkins, and I'm 72 years old. What do you make of that voice? He sounds confused. Is he senile? It's a voice on this tape. It's coming from an 11-year-old girl. Twist. What a twist. <laughs> so, right, okay, first of all, I the, I think we all agree The Conjuring was kind of a surprise in 2013 when we were inundated yeah. with micro-budget Absolutely. horror films and then one came along that was actually scary, that actually had atmosphere and actually had some sense of authenticity that actually owed a serious debt to 70s horror, which it paid in full. Now, what you've got this time around is the same but more and, at the same time, the same but less. So you have a film that plays up the 70s angle a lot more. There's a lot more of a, a feeling that you are watching uh, something like a grindhouse style reproduction of what once was but then at the same time it doesn't quite measure up to the first film it does regurgitate the formula of the conjuring you know i, I don't want to go into it you can't really recite the formula without it being kind of a, a spoiler um but it does repeat that however it's filled with such dread and atmosphere and uh, authenticity of all things that you think okay you know what i'm, I'm enjoying myself enough for to, to just go along with it there are there are chills, there are frights, and it all works. And at the centre of it all, you have a cast who are really clearly up for it. You've got um, what's the name of the young girl? Uh, I want to say Madison Wolf. Madison Wolf, yeah. Madison Wolf, who's the young girl, the, the sort of would-be possessy in this case. Mm. And she's terrific. But of course you've got Vera Farmia and Patrick Wilson on top of that and it all comes together really well. Having sat through at least four different versions of the Enfield <laughs> case in the last decade, I went into this thinking... Almost I'm, in the last year. Last like, year. We, two of them were in the last year. Yeah. I went into this thinking I really don't want to watch another version of the Enfield case. But I watched mm. it and thought actually they've brought a new sort of perspective to this by tying it in with The Conjuring as they have mm. and bringing elements that carry over even into the first movie yeah. along with it. It manages to give it something new. It doesn't fictionalise the case too much. <clears throat> the, the, the the bullet points are all yeah. still there. But I really liked it. I just wish it didn't follow the more or less exact formula of the first movie. Although there are still some, some great effects in there and I'll tell you something, James Wan, he's really coming along as a director. He really is. He re this we, is his wheelhouse, isn't it? We though? think of him as a sort of director for hire now, because he started out in the horror genre and he's now gone over, he does the occasional tentpole here yeah. and there. He did uh, Furious 7, that was his last. Furious 7. And yeah. Which, which got... made, made a couple of books, isn't it? Well, that's it, because he's yeah. got Aquaman after this. Yes. And then he's got Robotech after that. Is he still doing Robotech? Apparently so. And, uh, yeah, and I tell you, you watch the opening of this film, 
And he just employs absolutely every weapon in his arsenal. Mm. It's absolutely terrific. And he just comes out with... There are some staggering shots in this film. But the whole Amityville thing is done tremendously well. Unfortunately, because it falls back on formula, you do feel like you are coasting on the goodwill earned by the great Amityville opening to sort of carry you through. But you know what? It's fine. It, it's fine. It's not a bad sequel. It's a worthy sequel. It's just not it's, it's a better than truly uh, triumphant one. Yeah, it's better than like Paranormal Activity 6. Oh, God, yeah, is, yeah. Exactly, yeah. But uh, speaking of uh, film news, by the way, uh, uh, James Wan has said that he won't be, di- won't be able to do <clears throat> uh, a sequel to any more sequels to The Conjuring because, frankly, <laughs> he doesn't have the time. Yeah, he's because... got about seven different projects on the go right now. Exactly. So shall we carry on with the uh, the box office top ten and get that done and out of the way? Yeah, let's do it. Number five. You love that. I love that so much. Just so such a fan. Okay, so X Men Apocalypse, X Men Second Class. You know what? It's an X Men movie. It's a weak one. It's a really weak one. It's bottom three. Bottom four? Yeah. Bottom three, bottom, bottom three, four. I would say. Um, yeah, actually, if you go X-Men Origins and uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine yeah, if you and, and Last, Last Stand, Stand, then, yeah, it's bottom three. It's bottom three. Yeah. Um, it's not a bad film. It's just really, it's a really bit of a rehash, bit of a really poor rehash of, like, like a best bit of days gone by. Yeah. By the way, I had a thought. Uh, two things. Uh, they both relate to Cyclops, incidentally. Um, <laughs> the moment in which his, his eyesight kicks in at the beginning of Apocalypse, right. didn't that exact scene take place in X-Men Origins? Yeah, I think you did, yeah. So I was right. We had seen it before. Uh, The other thing is, do you know who played his teacher in the 80s? No. Ali Sheedy. No way. I noticed it when I saw it a second time. It's Ali Sheedy. Number four. Borecraft. Borecraft, which made some money in China, but apparently nowhere near enough to uh, justify a sequel. No. Thank God, because I never, ever want to see more of this fantasy realm. It is all gibberish setup for a film that goes nowhere. There's no film. There's just a setup. There's a reason it's called Warcraft The Beginning, because all it does is begin. It's just the start of... It doesn't have a middle or an end. It's meant to be a trilogy, isn't it? That's what we said. Oh, quite clearly, but... It's it's... not going to happen. No, you watch it and you just think, oh man, Duncan Jones, why? He's nowhere to be seen in this movie. His his influence just isn't felt. His vision is entirely (laughs) absent, and that's really disappointing when we're talking about the director of Moon and Source Code. Number three. Alice Through the Looking Glass. Which I liked more than the first one. Which isn't saying a great deal. Not really. really. Does anyone actually like the first Alice in Wonderland? I don't think they do. I think Tim Burton likes the second house it'd have got in. Yeah, well, yeah, probably yeah. not a second, probably like 12th house. That, that's called Michael Caning it. It's Michael Caning it, yeah. yeah. When, when someone Jaws, says, yeah, yeah Jaws you've 4. seen Jaws yeah. The Revenge, I've no, seen we'll the seen the house it paid yeah. for. And, uh, no. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't know. It's just, it's a film that it works on its own merits. It just doesn't really, it's not a great film. You don't come out of no. Through the Looking Glass It's got some better visuals. It. It's got some better visuals than the first It's film. a lot more coherent, and yeah. unlike the first movie, it actually does use physical sets. So, you know, that's an improvement in one area. However, Johnny Depp is still unbearable in this film. Number two. You know what this is. We all know yeah. what it is. And you know what? This film's doing surprisingly well. I mean, it's a it's non-mover okay, at number yeah. two. It's doing fairly well. Mm. To, be, to be fair to it, it is the film the first one should have been. As in, Absolutely. you know what? Here's a bright and colourful, basically superhero-influenced theatrical take on the Turtles. Instead of just Transformers Instead Turtles. of just, here's Transformers Turtles. Yeah. T- t- 
Turtformers? Turtformers. Turtformers. Shellformers. I don't know. Shellformers. Um, but it is a lot more fun than the first one. It does have some laughs. It does have some characters. And I think that is something that it vastly, vastly needed. Yeah. And, uh, well, just wait, you, you feel the improvements in it. So even Megan Fox is a lot more tolerable in this one. Number one. Me before V. Me before they. Yeah. Uh, which I liked. I, I don't get the hate for it. I really don't. Is there hate for it? There's, well, there's hate for it from, oh, from, from certain factions. Yeah. And and uh, our Twitter feed, apparently, and... Uh, oh, I remember that from last week, yeah, of course. Yeah, well... well I'm, I'm, I'm going to go see it uh, this evening. You're seeing it this evening, yeah, aren't you? Yes, my, because my your other half has, uh, has read the book. She has, yeah. And, uh, I like the film. I like Amelia Clark in it. I like Sam Clayflin in it. I think it ticks all the emotional boxes it needs to. I think it delivers on the promise of an emotional time, a warm story, of of eliciting a few tears when it needs to. It's not quite as hokey-pokey-sack as it's intended by the marketing it's not quite the Nicholas Sparks looking, you know, Nicky Sparks goes British, as, it, as, as the trailer would have you believe. That is a good thing Yeah, and, it, and yeah. that's a very, very good thing and I think the chemistry between the two is palpable and yeah. I liked it very much With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen The Onscreen Radio Show and we're back and dancing. Oh, real quick, can I tell you about the uh, Jennifer Lawrence news? Yeah, why not? You tell me. Right, she, she's got a new film coming out. She's going to unite with Ad, with uh, Adam McKay. Oh, yeah, I've heard, about, heard about this. this. I heard about this. This is yeah. going to be the story as well of uh, Elizabeth Holmes. Mm. Are you familiar with her? Uh, a little bit, yeah. She was the biotech entrepreneur who was worth like something like $5 billion, mm. and then overnight lost her fortune when it was alleged that all of her company's blood test results were inaccurate. Do you think, okay, that's probably not a good thing for a it's, biotech. It sounds so. like... Uh, Adam McKay will drop out and then David Russell will take it over. <laughs> it kind of does, doesn't it? It actually. sounds like Joy 2. It kind of does sound yeah. like David O. Russell's going to be in there real quick. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about uh, Barbershop A Fresh Cut, a.k.a. Barbershop The Next Cut, a.k.a. Barbershop 3, depending on where you go. Yeah. But uh, we got shown it as Barbershop A Fresh Cut, although on it's, the opening credits... It's all credits, the same film. It's yeah. got Ice Cube in it. On the credits it said Barbershop The Next Cut, though, so I'm a bit confused by that. Although, I want to point out to you that, mm. uh, incidentally, the UK title, the official UK title for Fast Five is Fast and Furious Five Rio Heist. So, yeah, I knew that. We had posters. You had work. posters yeah. in Cineworld when you worked there, I remember? Rio Heist. Yeah. Yeah. Even though Fast and Furious Five is technically Fast and Furious Nine. Oh, but, they're uh, all bad titles. They're all bad titles. Yeah. They're all terrible. Okay, so let's talk about Barbershop then. Uh, third in the series, or fourth if you count the spin-off Beauty Shop. And the idea is Ice Cube is Calvin. He owns the, the, the South Side Chicago, you know, local mom-and-pop barbershop, third-generation inherited. Um, in this movie, the city council are debating setting up a one-way system for traffic within the neighbourhood to try and curb gang violence. So one way in, one way out of the neighbourhood. Try and curb gang violence. The only thing is, they actually think this will kill local businesses. This is whilst gang violence is fanatically on the rise. I want to point out, this does mean you get the inadvertently hilarious uh, sound of Ice Cube, a founding member of NWA, telling you that gang violence is wrong <laughs> when you hear some of the things that man has sung over the years yeah. anyway um, so he sets up with uh, the other employees and, and residents of his bar 
of his barbershop, he sets up a 48-hour ceasefire in the neighbourhood over a weekend in which he will give out free haircuts. The idea is for 48 hours there is to be no gang violence from either side of the local gangs, and they will just cut everyone's hair for free, and the idea is to make it a media circus, to make it a thing, and make the city council take notice. Here's a clip. Damn, I see you getting that chop over there, girl. Yes, I am. How much you charge for them weaves? Well, it depends, because if you want to be basic-ass, no-no-no, Destiny's Child Beyonce, that's going to cost you like $200. If you want to be like, you know, cater to you, Beyonce, that's going to cost you like $600. And if you want to be Beyonce featuring Jay-Z, boom, boom, mm-hmm. that's going to cost you like the stack. I can't believe y'all spending all that money on weeds anyway. I can't believe y'all put all that money on your heads. And then don't be having the money for your rent. Excuse you, this is how I pay my rent. Exactly. Because with this here and this booty, it's like walking around with a black Amex. <laughs> and I never get denied. I bet you don't. Nicki Minaj, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. I think my, my last weave cost me about eight pounds. I don't think I've ever had a haircut that cost more than 12 quid. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, Nicki Minaj there. And I, I, I confess I had forgotten about the existence of Nicki Minaj uh, prior to really? the film. I do remember her having starred yeah. in uh, The Other Woman, though. Starred is putting it loosely. She's <laughs> she's a woman in a room and she's I, I'll be she's just like a sassy friend. I, re- yeah. I remember Kate Upton being in like, The Other Woman, but that was it. And then everything else was just a blur. Everything else was a blur. Yeah. Also, Nikolai Costa-Waldo. But, uh, yeah. Be in better films, Jamie. Yeah. Come on. Come on, man. Game of Thrones was great this week. Do more good stuff. Headhunters. That's a good Headhunters, that was good. Oh, anyway, <laughs> let's get on to this one. Yeah. Um, if you like the uh, Barbershop series, naturally enough you can like this it's a, an evolutionary sequel mm. it does work it, it sounds like quite a good story it actually. does I didn't fit the, that was the story. that's the thing because the story is a little bit more grounded the mm. comedy feels less cartoony for the most part cedric the entertainer still lets it down though because he's quite a jarring presence when we're talking about always effectively the african-american clerks and it plays like that. It does feel like the African-American clerks, but a little bit more socially conscious. Now, I actually think there is an important franchise in Barbershop. I, I do think what it represents is great, and I feel like there should be more films like this. I, and I, not, not so much just in appealing to the Afri- African-American demographic, but in terms of let's make more dialogue-driven, actually funny, and socially aware comedies. Great. Do more of those. Mm. You don't necessarily mm. need Ice Cube to do them, admittedly. But hey, if you're going to give <laughs> he, JB... He does them okay. He does them, he does okay. them okay. But if you're going to give JB Smoove and Dion Cole <laughs> some work, then you will always get my support because both of those oh. guys are funny as hell. Um, I love JB Smoove. If you're not a fan of the series, if you're not a fan of Barbershop, though, you mm. might struggle a little bit with it. But if you've never seen any of them, you can walk into this film just cold and probably enjoy it. I've seen the first one. I can't really remember what the story was about, but I remember quite enjoying it. Ah, uh, the first. No, I I, quite... the, is the first one the one where he owes money or the one where they're trying to shut down the shop? I can't remember. Uh, which the second one have Keith David as the villain? Yeah, that's uh, back in business. That's back in business. Yeah. That's something I know. I forget. <laughs> I, I honestly forget. I think the first one's the one where Anthony Anderson was the villain. So um, you don't necessarily need to see the first two. You don't need to have seen the first two. You'll enjoy it regardless. I think. So let's let's wrap up real quick then with Tale of Tales this week, uh, which is a really really quirky and all over the place yeah. kind of film. This is based on a series of Italian poems from way back when, which actually form the basis of our populist fairy tales now. And it stars the likes of John C. Riley, Salma Hayek, Toby Jones, uh, Vincent Cassell, who. 
who is introduced, incidentally, in a way that only Vinny Cassell could pull off. Vinny Cassell. Vinny Cass, man. Vinny Cass. Cass. Only he could pull off the introduction he gets in this film. And you get, you have a king and queen who uh, are unable to conceive a child, who form a deal with a necromancer to track down a sea monster, have its heart cooked uh, by a virgin alone in a room, which the queen then eats, and the next day she gives birth to a boy. And at the same time, the virgin is mysteriously pregnant as well and gives birth the same day. They both have identical children. And 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 that oh, is what? this sounds great. This does sound great. There's then another story where Toby Jones um, wants to. Where Toby Jones has a pet who is actually a fly who can hop from one hand, one of his hands to the other, and the pet grows up to be like a you know meter long house fly who he treats like a puppy, and he's distraught when he dies, and he's raised him on on blood and steak. There's then another subplot where Toby Jones's daughter has been married off to an ogre who lives on a mountain and treats her like property. And she wants to escape with members of a circus troupe. And, yeah, he's bonkers. Here's Salma Hayek. Elias, you are a prince. You cannot be friend of a son of a servant. But I like being with him. He's like a brother to me. I, I will see him whenever I want. A brother? The only one bond of blood that you have is with me. Your mother. And it is to me that you owe respect and obedience. I am your queen. Don't you ever forget it. You owe me an apology. I'm sorry, mother. Come, my son. If I ever see you with him again, you will both regret it. Everyone is really, really game for this film. It is just bonkers. It feels like someone saw Terry Gilliam's Brothers Grimm and thought, you know what? It's a bit more Italian horror. A bit too subdued. It needs more Italian horror and Vinnie Cassell. Because, like everything, it needs more Vinnie Cassell. What you get is one of the most visually arresting films you will see this year. One of the biggest uh, surprises you'll see... Well, no, not biggest, but one of the most surprising films you'll see this year. And one of the most out-there concepts. It is brilliant. You can see where all the fairy tales sort of originate. Oh, there's, sorry, there's another subplot with uh, Vincent Cassell uh, marrying an old woman who's made herself magically appear younger. Um, there's that whole subplot as well, which I think okay. is based on Cinderella. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, really, really <coughs> gripping. Really interesting. Just bonkers it is a Curzon <laughs> exclusive as well i believe so oh, is it really? yeah if you want to see it, you've got to go yeah, to Curzon cinema so we're at look we're looking sheffield's we have yeah. One. yeah um but yeah go and see this it is so good it's one of those films that it, i don't think uh, not if you're the kind of person that's going to go to the Curzon, you're gonna love this film if you're the kind of person that was debating seeing gods of egypt and the tickets are all sold out and you want something else to see don't go and see this film because you're First really of all, not going to who is debating it. going to see that film i only watched it because i knew that we had to talk about it yeah yeah and um, second of all that film was never going to sell out anywhere <laughs> it's not going to be film of the week that is not going to be film of the week what a shock my favorite thing about uh, gods of egypt was that uh, <laughs> nigel andrews genuinely asked me is is this based on a video game because it has that sensibility. And Absolutely. I was like, actually, yeah. yes, it really does have the sensibility of a video game, except for the uh, the the missing attribute. A video game comes in short bursts. This lasts for what feels like half a day. And I say this having watched a four-hour cut of Watchmen the same day. 
So, yeah. But which was infinitely better, infinitely more enjoyable. So it's not film of the week, put it that way. Gods of Egypt can can do one not interested. <laughs> no, please take it away. Be careful, you get a written letter from Alex Poyas next. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Alex, but uh, you described. Go back it. to why? Why don't you just do the remake of the Crow? Why don't you just? Yeah, do that? you know what? You take Alex Poyas. You described it as a carcass, and that was very, very apt because your film is dead on arrival. Yeah. You have pretty much wheeled it in on a slab. Of course we're going to pick the carcass, because that's all we've got to work with. There is no meat on the bones of your film. Meanwhile, film of the week. Tale of Tales. Oh, no, 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 hang on, no. I'm going to give it to the keeping room. Tale of Tales is great. Oh, that came out of... Yeah, sorry. Whoa. Tale of Tales is great. Keeping room is better. I think. I, I think. I thought Conjuring 2 might sneak in there as well. Not a, mm. not a terrible week, really. Not a terrible week, because the three films you could you could say are really good. And Barbershop you quite enjoy And Barbershop well. I enjoy as well. There's more in the, in the, in the it's podcast. Really just when we get to podcast extras, I've got to do God's, another God's one. Egypt. Long Way North I've got to do, which is oh, quite course, good yeah. as well. Let's talk about next week, then. Oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah. Secret Life of Pets, we got that? Well, yeah, we've got that. We've got that. We've got that. We've got Remainder, that's next week. Oh, we've got that yeah, too. That sounds interesting. That sounds alright. Uh, British Memory Loss Thriller, I believe, is it? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've got, got uh, Crazy About Tiffany's, which is a documentary about the brand Tiffany & Co., mm. which I'm very interested in because I, I know nothing on that subject. I think there has to be a rich history behind it. Yeah. Uh, we've got Mama with Penelope Cruz. I always get confused with Salma Hayek. Yeah. yeah. Penelope Cruz. Yeah. And the Italian crime thriller, Sabura. That's to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, this has been Candy Store <clears throat> on screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been, as always, Case Allen. <laughs> and we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, Podcast extras then, Mr. Allen. So, uh, well, should we start with... Uh, should, we, should we do a review first? We'll get a review out of the way. Yeah, why not? What do you have for me? Let's talk about where you're meant to be, which, do you know what? It's kind of weirdly up your alley, actually. <laughs> because this is a, this is, this is a, a musically-based documentary, Ooh. right? So this is the... You know, uh, there's a... The, uh, they, they call him a pop raconteur. Cult pop raconteur. Aidan Moffat. Um, who's been in a band called Arab Strap. Yeah. Are you familiar with Arab Strap? I'm yeah. not. I've ne- never heard of them. And uh, he presents this documentary, which is uh, written and directed by uh, Paul Fegan. And the idea is that uh, Aidan Moffat has decided that some of Scotland's classic folk songs could do with an update. So he goes around and he just performs updated versions of these songs. The same old, <laughs> same old jingles, slightly modified lyrics. And he makes them about contemporary things. He makes them about gay marriage and he makes them about uh, racial profiling, things like that. Um, but he also attracts the ire of um, a, tra- a traveller singer, who a traveller folk singer who is famous for one of these uh, these ditties, and uh, he winds up sort of competing with her in a strange way. Uh, name Sheila, she, she comes up in the clip that we're about to play. I've had that song in my head a lot since you died, Sheila. I've been thinking about what it meant to you, and means to me now. And how those meanings change. We only met a couple of times, but I think about you driving down to the city for your final performance. And I wonder how fast you drove, if you stopped for a smoke, what was on the radio. 
Eugene Toth in the clip. It's a very, very artsy yet strangely compelling documentary. It did, prem- it did premiere at DocFest this week, actually, mm. and it was one of the ones there, and it did seem to go down quite well. It uh, has attracted a sort of minor cult fan base, and it's not difficult to see why. He himself is quite an entertaining figure, Aidan Moffat. Uh, say, you, you're familiar with him, so you presumably have... I'm familiar with the band Arab Strap, yeah. Oh, okay. So and there's, there's a song by Bell and Sebastian... The boy with the, the Arab, boy with the Arab strap. strap. Yeah, I know it's the theme song for teachers. Yes, anyway. it is. Yeah, <laughs> good song. Only reason I know it. Yeah. Um, now I did like this, but I did think it went a little bit all over the shop, though, because his central premise gets cast aside as he goes on a sort of road trip and winds up exploring such weird concepts as war reenactments and the Loch Ness monster. And it's it's very. I mean, it does build to a triumphant conclusion, and it, it, musically it gets you where it need where you need to be emotionally, psychologically, tonally. Mm. It gets 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 you to all the right places. The thing is, it does take a lot of diversions on the way there, but he's likable enough as a sort of anchor for it that mm. that it does. You do feel invested in a strange way. You feel invested despite yourself, which is <laughs> kind of a backhanded compliment in a way. I did like. It though, and I did. Uh, I did find myself sort of, you know, tapping along, tapping along with the music, leaving the screen, singing along, sort of a thing. Um, I, I think with someone sort of with your musical temperament, for example, I think you'd like it a lot more than I did. Hmm. But I still didn't dislike it. I, I had a lot of fun with it, and it does have a, a very quintessentially Scotty sense of humour that's just to be admired. You, you know the sort of humour I'm... Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Because yeah. it, it is crass and it's vulgar, but it's charming. It's, it's charming. Like, it is yeah. the Scottish sense of humour, <laughs> and I love that about it. So what, what have you uh, seen on your phone that's made you react in horror, by the way? I wasn't reacting in horror. Oh, was it so film much? news? Um, I've, I've got a couple of pieces. Of you, do, you, do you want to yeah. take one? Do you want to take one? I'll, I'll, I'll take one now. Go on. Okay. Um, Craig uh, Gillespie or Gillespie? Craig Gillespie, yes. Yeah. I, do you, I, do I read you know this about morning. this? Yeah, he's, he's got a new project. He has. Up with uh, Margot Robbie, who is... Can't be as bad as his last one. Was that the finest hours? The finest hours. It was not yeah. his finest hour. It was not his finest Hi-oh. hour. <laughs> anyway, um, he is going to direct uh, a biopic starring uh, Margot Robbie about uh, Tonya Harding. Do you know who, who she is? Yes, I do. Do you know the title of it, incidentally? No, it hasn't been the title released. There is a title. It's called I, Tonya. I, Tonya. I, Tonya. That's, that's good. I, comma, Tonya. Yeah. Uh, I know who Tonya Harding is, uh, yeah. And uh, because she's kind of a sports legend now for all the wrong reasons. reasons, Yeah, quite a controversial uh, career that she had. Yeah. So she was a figure skater. Was it nineteen ninety four thereabouts? Early nineties, early early to mid nineties. And she had a rival with Nancy Kerrigan, and Mm. she basically got her husband and his friends to try and cripple her. Essentially, (laughs) essentially, yes. But they failed. The husband was arrested and then turned her in. Yeah. And she was, she was, she She did strip. She was stripped of her title. And yeah. banned from the sport. 1994, you are correct. 94, yeah. it was about then. Yeah, and Margot Robbie, very good casting for that. Excellent. Yeah, I've just seen a picture of Tonya Harding now. Well, not only that, yeah. you think, because there's a, there obviously has to be a ruthless side to Tonya Harding, yeah. and I can't imagine Margot Robbie failing to deliver that. I think she can do that. I think she, she could do, do that, that completely. Um, yeah. We have got to talk about the Kevin Smith thing, because we, we, we just recently watched the trailer for uh, Yoga Hoses. And you're trying to put it out of the back of your mind. I'm trying to put it out of the back of my mind. Really, I'm dreading yeah. that film. I'm, I'm not, I don't know, I'll, I will watch it, I'll try try and watch it with my mm. open mind, but he's got projects coming up that I'm excited about, and I like listening to his podcasts, so... Well, yeah. I still I still am a fan of Kevin Smith. Do you know, I, I, I am still a fan of Clerks, Dogma, more Rats, Tracing Amy, Jane yeah. Silent what, Bob's What Strike is your favourite Kevin Smith? My favourite Kevin... It's probably the, still the first Clerks. Okay, mine... I, mine I, I love Clerks. Mine is Chasing Amy. I love Chasing Amy I as well. Yeah. yeah. 
but uh, but yeah, I, we we have news. We have news because yeah. more rats. There's obviously there's been a thing for years, about two years now, where we were going to get a sequel to more rats. Yeah, he got all the cast in place, got a script. He did. It's called More Brats. More Brats. Yeah. They even had a mall. Even had a mall. Even had a mall. And now apparently <laughs> it's going to go to television instead because uh, Old Smitty's uh, decided he likes the medium of television. He does. He was kind of against it for well, not actively against it. He just always thought that he was a writer for for, for film. I can remember a time when he got himself a guest role on an episode of Law and Order purely because he liked the show. Yeah. Yeah. Never saw the episode, but... Uh... No. And then he ended up uh, directing uh, Jesse Martin in The Flash. Yes, he did. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, he uh, he, di- he directed the pilot for Reaper in the middle of that oh, yeah. as well, I, I which really enjoyed he Reaper. produced as a series, which was amazing for having Ray Weiss as Satan. Yeah, he was a great Satan. He was a great Satan. He was really, really good. He's also but, the star um... of one of my favourite B-movies, which is uh, Big Ass Spider. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> I've seen that with you. <laughs> you. Did you watch it with me? I watched it with you. Oh, right, I couldn't remember. Yeah, I think you'd, you'd already seen it by that point. But I, yeah, I yeah. watched it on one of your many viewings. Yeah, I, I have seen it many times. I've watched. I've introduced many friends to Big Ass Spider. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Greg we, Grunberg, man. Greg Greg Grunberg, yeah, and Claire Kramer. But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, actually, he's got another uh, TV show project coming up. What um, has he got? Uh, Buckaroo Bonsai. Have oh, we, have we yeah, spoken yeah. about this? No, we haven't spoken about it. No, about it. No, of it. Please, yeah. please do. So Buckaroo Bonsai was going to be. Um, uh, a sequel. Well, a sequel's been teased for years and years mm. and years after the events of the first Buckaroo Bonsai film. He's a big fan of Buckaroo Bonsai. And I think just on the back of doing the the Flash episode, yeah, um, just word spread that he wanted to do a show. And I think it was MGM that had the rights to Buckaroo Bonsai, and then mm. they got in touch with him and were just like, how would you do it? And he pitches like a basic idea, and then now they're doing the show. They're doing a Buckaroo Bonsai TV show, which I think is an excellent... Excellent idea. Excellent I, I can't fault it. Yeah. I like Buckaroo Bonsai. Very As much. do I, yeah. Um, one more then before we go, before we do another review. Okay, um, what have you got? Uh, this is, we'll stick with the television thing for a moment, uh, because I'm really excited about this. This is going to be a, a Netflix movie. Uh, with some of my favourite TV guys, and this is uh, this is the the crew of Workaholics. Oh yeah. So Adam Devine, Anders Holm, Blake Anderson, and Kyle Newacek. And if you have you seen Workaholics, I've seen Workaholics. I'm a big I fan like of the show. Uh, they are now following their yeah. their fellow uh, Comedy Central comedians, Key and Peele, to the big screen. They're doing a film called Game Over, Man, which is <laughs> nice. taken from the line of Bill Paxton delivered yeah, so famously aliens. in Aliens. Yeah, it's going to be produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. And oh, by by Point Grey. Yeah, nice. and it's and it's being described as Die Hard in a Hotel. As an action comedy, and I just that's that going to be great. brilliant. But it's it's yeah. going straight to Netflix. It's going to be one of oh, Netflix's right. exclusive episodes. Netflix original. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward. to That, that sounds awesome. Yeah. But uh, okay, then. So, so so speaking of things that are awesome, let's talk about uh, Long Way North then. <laughs> which is that's how I segue into that. I just talk about awesome things. Uh, Long Way North, which uh, is this uh, wonderful sort of French Danish animated film. And it centers around a young uh, Russian socialite, a young, uh, not a Tsarina, if you say socialite, aristocrat. Yeah. It's about 1862, I think, thereabouts. And uh, her grandfather goes missing whilst on a scientific expedition to, you know, discover the North Pole. Mm. And he has, he's taken a first of its kind, expensive Russian ship, the Devi, I think it's called, uh, with him. The ship has gotten lost, uh, you know, has never returned, he's never returned either, and he's become kind of a laughingstock to the scientific community ever since. And in order to restore her family honour, the young socialite uh, sets out on her own, she's, we're talking about like, you know, a tween girl here, uh, sets out on her own to journey to the North Pole and prove her dad was right, her granddad was right, he found it, that he's not 
a fraud. He's not a failure, and has to has to overcome limitations imposed on her by basically a mocking populace, the sentiments of sexism, and basically general uh, general. You're too young for this. We have a clip. Captain Lund, the divine was searched for in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> and now she's going to tell us where to find it. Precisely. She's a brave lass. Listen to her. Full speed ahead! That girl will not only bring us bad luck, but also get in the way. I must find the divide to save my family's honor. No turning back now. This is uh, this is the debut film of uh, of I believe his name is Remy Chaye, <clears throat> um, who has been an animator for a good long while. I'm just looking at some of the photos. The animation looks. Stunning. That's what I'm going to get to. It is a really stunning film to behold. Really kind of distinctive. It is. It's yeah. what it's it's all it's it's tritone shading and pastel colours. Really, mm. it's it's quite simplistic to look at, but the effect is. Beautiful. Um, what really makes it work, though, is is that as well as being visually striking to look at, the story is actually really something. So what you've got is effectively a, a feminist story for kids, and it narratively it plays kind of like Mulan. It, it appeals to kind of, and obviously this is not going to get the mainstream recognition of, of, of something like Mulan. Understandably enough, that's got you know, the House of Mouse on its side. But if you're one of the animation aficionados who flock to something like Song of the Sea, or if you go and see the average Miyazaki film, for instance, which you know that that's become quite a big thing in recent years, um, I think this was this is going to be something that you regard as a modern classic. It reminded me an awful lot. Do you, do you ever see is it Persepolis? You remember that yeah, one? Yeah, I've got that was quite a simplistically yeah. animated film about was it the the Iranian Islamic Revolution? Yes, but it was it was just this wonderful combination of let's tell an important story and let's give it a visually striking palette to do mm. it. Let's use animation. A little as bit like uh, Waltz with Bashir. Yes, yeah. very much. That was the one I was thinking of as well. That's a really good um, one. And this is this is something that really belongs on your on your TV shelf alongside those. Mm. And this is inevitably where this film is going to end up. If you can see it on the big screen, do because it's really something to behold. But I was quite moved by the story, and I was surprised by that. Um, I don't think uh, I don't. There's not really much to, to to say in in the cons column, really. It's it's very much it 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 succeeds admirably on it on the terms it sets itself. Mm. It's just, it, frankly, being you know an unknown animated property, it's it's not really going to latch on in that Mulan no, like it's, way. It's not so. going to find its audience. No, but in terms of maybe if it comes to like something like Amazon Prime or Netflix, it'll get. Yeah, I it'll think it will. I think it yeah. will. I mean, this is this is obviously not going to find the uh, the Paranorman crowd if you're not <laughs> oh, such a good film i liked paranormal yeah. as well I'm, I'm a big fan of Leica. yeah Leica, yeah. that was what i was thinking of. they've got a new one out soon haven't they the violin uh, thing uh, kubo and the two strings which kubo is probably my strings. most anticipated animated film this year well, you know, you've got to have your own important animated films. <laughs> <laughs> i've got a list but i stay at home and i compose Ooh, speaking of yeah. films that i know you love because right. I'm a stereotype, Be- I just I. Well, actually, this is quite stereotypical because I'm talking about <laughs> Short Term Twelve. Oh right. Because I, I know how much you love Short Term Twelve. I, I love that film, and and not the least of not the least reason <clears throat> being that obviously it stars Brie Larson. But uh, do you remember Keith Stanfield? Yes, I do. Film? He was. He was yeah, really good, was wasn't he? He was he was sort of her charge, as it were, wasn't the, the Essentially, voice yeah, and he, he's a bit of a problem problem child. Problem child, yeah. yeah. And the bulk of the actual plot style narrative, I think, really, yeah, the yeah, work plot much, revolved yeah, around him. Really is, yeah. <clears throat> well, he's got a new job. Mm. I don't know if you know. Have you, do you know the story? Um, I saw that he's he's reteaming with. Is that 
No, no, no. He's he's, he's got a new job. He's on. he's going to be starring in Adam Wingard's new film. So Adam Wingard. He's going to be in Death Note. He's going to be in Death Note. Oh my god! That's no amazing. one knows. No one knows what his role is going to be yet. But it's Adam Wingard, Nat Wolf starring in there. And Margaret Qualley. That's amazing. Yeah, and yeah. this is the obviously it's, it's coming to Netflix. But it's it's yeah. a Netflix thing. Yeah, and it's uh, what well, this thing. Do you know? Do you know the Death Note? property you know the series or? um a little bit i know i know vaguely what it's about isn't it it's it's a kid that's got a notebook and yep. if he wants if you write your name in the book someone dead if you write your name in the book you die yeah that's it yeah. i can't wait to see what adam wingard does with this so adam wingard he brought us uh the guest he did and you're next he did before bring, that yeah. it was very he good. did bring us your next yeah Gotta give him that he did bring us your next <laughs> did you not like the guest i was no no i liked the guest I wasn't oh, right. a you fan of your next. Oh, really? I didn't like your next at all. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, no, oh. it's, do you know what it is? It's because uh, I, I just had a terrible experience in the screening. I think that's what it is. You were in a foul but mood. I was in a foul mood. Uh, but, that's never uh, good. So did we talk about? We've not talked about Angelina Jolie, have we? And uh, Orient Express. She's, We've uh, not spoken about no. that. Angelina Jolie's in talks to star in uh, Kenneth Branagh's version of Murder on the Orient Express. So Kenneth Branagh is playing Poirot. Yeah, exactly. Which How is good's great. that going to be? That's, That's going to be fantastic. So and he's also going to be making it. He's going to be the the director. Has well. Ben Kingsley ever played Poirot? Um, I feel like he has at some point. I don't think so. It's just it's been it's been your lad from Suchet. <laughs> yeah. Suchet. Do you ever want yeah. to see anyone else as Poirot? That's the question. That's I hope that he just shows up. You're yeah. gonna have to have him a cameo. Have a cameo of David Suchet in there. Like he's the, he's the, he's the you know no, he t- he's the guy that sells the tickets at the box office at the station. And he know. just happens to look like Poirot. Yeah, just just looks a little bit like Poirot. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, before we do another review, then let me just I've got to go into this awful awful news. Um, plot details have emerged for Transformers: The Last Night. And which sadly will you not be the last film. You say plot details. Plot details. It's not. It's not really. It's not really a plot. <laughs> well, it's, okay. it's explosions with K. Diego inventing. Oh, something. K. Diego. I, I, I like to but try that, and forget. He's like, an inventor. <laughs> I'm an inventor. My name's K. Diego. No, you're not, Mark. Shut up. Um, right. So the plot this time around involves <laughs> apparently Optimus Prime goes back to the ruins of Cybertron. That's basically there. how the last one ended. Yeah, the last like, one ended yeah. with him. He, you know, I, I, I must return. I must return. My people need me. And which is is literally how they got rid of Poochie. You know, Optimus Prime got Poochie's <laughs> yeah. ending do, from do, The do, Simpsons. Do, do, do. He's, he's off. I must go. My planet needs me. Yeah. You know, that's literally how they ended. They ended a two hundred million dollar tentpole movie with the Poochie right out. <laughs> um, so Optimus Prime went back. The idea is now he's gone back. He's going to find out that he's to blame for the death of the Transformers race, and that the only way he can. <laughs> Yeah. So Transformers are doing accountability. Y- yeah. Yeah. But, they are. Yeah. But, 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 but imagine what's popular this year. Exactly, because yeah. that's the thing. There's collateral damage. Collateral damage. And man. Uh, so he's apparently going to find out that the only way to resurrect his people is with an ancient Cybertronian artifact, which happens to have been given to Merlin the Magician. And yeah, this is all going to tie into Arthurian oh. mythology. Yeah, this, uh, it gets better. <laughs> <laughs> it really does get better. There's going to be new British Transformers. Is that where Anthony Hopkins comes into it? I really hope Is Anthony Hopkins playing Merlin? I, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. I don't want to live on Cybertron either before you say anything. I but... was just about to say <laughs> But yes, yeah, so we're going to have one new tran- British Transformer who turns into an Aston Martin. There's Please gonna... be safe. Please I be know. safe. There's going to be another that transforms into a Vespa. 
Are we, are we going to have a mini? I, I don't know. You just know that's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then there's going to be a new character called The Creator. Three guesses what that character does or did. Destroys things. Oh, man. I just, I just don't know how many time for this. Oh, oh, also, the Dinobots will be back hmm. along with mini Dinobots. Of course. B- because why not? Yeah. It all works I love out. how excited people were about Dinobots. <laughs> As do I. Like, we all yeah. thought, like, maybe this time they're getting it right. Have you heard about the good piece of news? The. The slightly like heartwarming news for Transformers Five. Is this the thing about the dog? About the dog. What? Yeah, I don't know this story. What is the dog story? So there is, there is a dog. I think I'm not sure what the dog was called. Leonard. Leonard. Is it? I think it might actually be Leonard. Is it Leonard? Look it up. I'm going to look, look it, up. it up. But there is. Something. I will. I will. I will talk about it whilst you look up. Okay, please do. Okay, so there was a dog that um, was in like a like a dog shelter, like mm-hmm. an animal sanctuary kind of thing, for six years. For six yeah. years that it's been alive, it's got it's got like I think it's epilepsy or, or or some kind of condition like that. Britain's loneliest dog. Britain's loneliest dog is what it was. Done. Oh, it's Freya. Freya. Epi- so epileptic... where did you get Leonard from? <laughs> I don't know. An epileptic Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Yeah, was who basically spent her life in an animal shelter. Yeah, had been uh, rejected by Aww. like sixteen thousand people. That is horrible. I know. And Michael Bay found out about this whilst just being over here. Was like that is crazy. We need to find find a home for this dog. Uh, has cast the dog in the film, so the dog is going to be in the film, and in the meantime is going to try and help home the dog, which is pretty cool. And he said, if we can't find a home for the dog, the dog's just going to come and live with me. Yeah, he, he has said that. I'm reading, I'm reading that now on the Guardian's website. I mean, Britain's I'm, loneliest I'm, I'm saying dog. nice things about Michael Bay. I know. Poor yeah. Pooch rejected more than 18,000 times during yeah, six go, years yeah. in Kells. And she's lovely as well. She does look really nice, yeah. yeah. And Michael Bay was obviously moved by this. It's cast uh, maybe as Kay Diego's dog, I don't know. <laughs> I really hope Kay Diego's got a dog. Oh, that'd be great. Mind you, apparently the Transformers are going to be based in the uh, South Dakota Badlands in this movie. Badlands? Because they are living in hiding now, the Transformers. so <laughs> On the run. They, they, they are, if you remember the events of the last film, the I Transformers don't. are in hiding. <laughs> I've put them in the back of my mind, <sighs> in the inner recesses of my When it my hit mind. home release, when it hit DVD and Blu-ray, I tried to watch it again. Really? It's just gone on Netflix this week. Yeah, it has, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I tried to watch it again, and I just... Good lord, it's I, bad. I remember the bit where TJ Miller gets blown up, <laughs> and there's like a money shot of him from different angles getting blown up. <laughs> <laughs> we all we all remember the, oh statu- the statutory rape moment in which he hands he's got a laminated card Romeo excusing his statutory rape. Yeah, this is the Romeo and Juliet law. This yeah, is how we get away with. Yeah. Oh dear God, that is that is, and you just start thinking, who else but Michael Bay could include that in a film and not think it was a problem? But he likes dogs, and he's doing a nice thing. He's so. he's doing a nice thing. You know what? Yeah. It's bound to happen. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. It's bound to happen sooner or later. Uh, cool. uh, I've got some news about Anthony Mackie, what I told you about earlier. Uh, okay, I don't remember it now. Go on, tell me. Do you not? No, no, tell me. Maybe, I think you might have just heard the news and not who he was playing. Uh, Johnny Cochran. Oh, yeah, yeah, Johnny So there's going to be uh, a biopic about Johnny Cochran by uh, the director of Mandela. No, you uh, told Mandela, me, you told me there was going to be a film, and yeah, you didn't tell me it was Anthony Mackie. I, meant, I did. No, you didn't. And I, then you got distracted by a car or something. Yeah, I think probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually something I do. But anyway, I'm telling all the listeners and you now for okay, the so, apparent first time. So uh, Anthony Mackie's gonna be playing Johnny Cochran and it's not gonna involve the OJ Simpson case. But that's gonna to have to get mentioned, presumably. You would think. You, yeah. you would but think. it's it's gonna mainly revolve around a case that happened I think it was about nine years previous in nineteen eighty one. Yeah, the, there was, there was some big case that made his name in the first place. I'm imagining that, that, that basically got the... him the job, but yeah. got, but got him the the, the, the OJ Simpson kick. 
Well, he's got, he's got a top Courtney B. Vance now. Who was Who fantastic. was brilliant in The People vs. O.J. Simpson, yeah. which I have but now finished and thought was excellent. I can't believe it's taken you this long. That was such a good show. I, I, I'll be honest, I, I finished it on the way back from London last week. <laughs> <laughs> but, times, man. Okay, so let's talk about um, uh, the, the Girl King, then, mm. which is... Um, this is a really interesting one. This is... Uh, this is actually a retail. I didn't know the story on this. Okay, this is Christina, the Queen of Sweden. Are you familiar with her story? No. Right. Christina, the King of Sweden, was, I think it's 1850 50 something, thereabouts. Um, she is, her father dies. She is his sole heir. And from the age of six, she is trained to rule Sweden. She's she's brought up, she's given at the level of education that <clears throat> girls were not afforded. So she is given, at her father's request, his dying request, she is given a boy's education. So as a result, what you get is, for the very first time, a monarch who ascends to the throne at 18, starts ruling, and even though she's a woman, has all the relevant, uh, all the relevant intellectual material that only male rulers have ever had before. Mm-hmm. But of course, being a woman, she doesn't want to pop off to war at the drop of a hat. She instead wants to focus on making Sweden the great intellectual powerhouse of the day. As she puts it herself at one point, she wants to make Stockholm the new Athens. And of course, she is immediately turned upon by more or less everyone who disagrees, who's like, oh, we we need to go and rule this kingdom, we need to stop doing this, we need to go and work out, uh, it's all about politics, we don't want to do intellectual stuff. And of course, she becomes kind of frowned upon for this. But in the meanwhile as well, she begins to develop a slightly less than appropriate, for the time, relationship with her lady-in-waiting. Now, she's played by, her surname's Bushko, what's her first name? I can't remember. Uh, Malin Buska, um, Swedish actress, she plays uh, uh, Christina. And the lady in waiting is played by Sarah Gaddon, who you might remember from. Uh, do you remember Royal Night Out? Uh, yes, I do, yeah. She played our current queen in a Royal Night Out. <laughs> she played Liz. <laughs> she played Liz. I can never remember the name of the queen. Her Madge. Yeah, played her Madge. And also uh, Dracula's wife in Dracula Untold. Yeah, she was one of the brighter spots in that film. Oh, was that. Are we talking about the, the Luke Evans? The Luke Evans one, Dracula Untold. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So she's the lady-in-waiting. Oh, yeah. uh, Melin Buska is, is, is the queen. They have a an illicit relationship, or is illicit for the time, all behind closed doors, hush, hush, don't speak about it. And it is used as... her Their relationship is exploited as a means to basically further individual agendas against the queen's interests. Uh, we have a clip. Marry me. No. I'll support all your revolutions. We've talked about this, Christina. Brought you to China. And the Christina... No! No. You need not unpack your trunks. I'm sending you back to Paris. But, Christina... You heard her. You're going back to Paris. And I'm sending you to the German front. Do you dare object? We need to demonstrate our strength on all fronts during this peace negotiation. Of course. This is the thing. This year, we've got Park Chan-wook's uh, remake of Fingersmith coming out. Now, that's the remake of The Handmaiden. Now, that's coming out in four months' time. So this has sort of pipped it to the post as the period piece lesbian love story. 
which, you know, is such a rarity, really, that we only get one every couple of years. And now we're treated to two. We're treated to two in the same year. Although much this... like buses, aren't they? They're much like I, buses. I always compare them. Although, I'll tell you something, I am waiting for the big budget, re- big budget feature film adaptation of Tipping the Velvet, because you know that's coming oh, any happen. day now. Yeah. Although, who could you possibly get to replace Rachel Sterling and Keely Hawes? I ask mm. you. But uh, so, now, Tipping the Velvet is one of those things that is sort of weirdly beloved, even though it's kind of naff. And yeah. this owes this owes a real debt to it in a very strange way because you look at the story that, that that's being told here, and it is a really as I say, I didn't know the story of, of Christina, I didn't at all, and it's fascinating. And it does not go if you don't know it. This story does not go where you think it's going to go, and. It's disappointing that with the wealth of, of material within this story, that the film so often becomes, and I have to put this in in, tra- in quotes, just another mm. lesbian, a period piece lesbian love story. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, as a period piece lesbian love story, it's good. It's great. It's great as that. But it is somewhat soapy. It, it's somewhat of a you know soap opera theatrics kind of an affair. And you're thinking, I kind of want you to just get a little bit more into the you know the backroom dealing, get a bit more into the politics of it, rather than churning out just another crowns and corsets love you know period piece love story. Like that's all well and good, and that's entertaining enough, I suppose. But here's the thing: this is adapted for the screen by his name is uh, Michel Marc Bouchard. And it's based on his own stage play, which was uh, Christine Le René Garçon. And <laughs> Can you, you say that again, but more French? Le René Garçon. <laughs> I was trying to go, I went a bit sleazy with the you voice. You really though. did. Le René Garçon. Um, anyway, <laughs> I can't help myself. No, in your endo. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. Um... So the problem is he's adapted it himself, and he seems to have got a real problem with dumping superfluous material. Mm. Now the film is not overly long. I think it's it's ninety six. I think they're about minutes. Not it's not overly long. Mm. However, he has left just shreds of what are clearly subplots that were in the play in there. There's a moment, for instance, when um, the the mother, uh, Christine's own mother, is offhandedly references the time she tried to kill her as a baby. And we get a very brief flashback to it. This is never brought up again. Never. Has no relevance on the story. Goes nowhere. Does nowhere. Does nothing in the minute. Never comes up again. But it's just there. In the middle of the film. This. And you're like, why? Why why is that there? This adds nothing to the tale. It's like the entirety of Star Wars Episode 1. It simply just did not need to be there. And yet there's a couple of these moments. She's like, Really? Do you remember when you watched uh, X Men Apocalypse and they and they just stopped the film to go and drop a Wolver- to go to oh, Alkali Lakes? They could drop a Wolverine cameo in there. Yeah, well, in- they were setting up for yeah, yeah, exactly. Like just imagine, just think like it's filled with little things like that, but just moments like that, hmm. which like doesn't seem to add anything. It doesn't add anything yeah. at all. Now, to be fair, this is obviously uh, Malinbuska's film through and through because she's the central focus. It's only natural that she gets to steal the show, and she absolutely does. Really great, really powerful performance, and because she's playing Queen and woman. She plays them both as if it's a superhero with a secret identity. Mm. And I really like that dynamic. I like the way she plays being a sensitive soul behind closed doors as if, you know, that's Clark Kent. <laughs> as it, sorry, that's the inverse. It would be Superman in this case. But uh, so yeah, but uh, I like that. Uh, Sarah Gadon is great in it, but she's overshadowed by the heft and the weight of Malinbuska's performance. And you've got now I can never never pronounce this guy's name, so please bear with me, case I know you'll know it. Michael Nyquist? Nyquist. Oh, from Girl with Dragon Tattoo. Yes, 
he's here and he's in yeah. full Ruggahawa mode. And really? he's yeah, he's in full Ruggahawa yeah. mode and he's the Michael um, Knifequist, I've always said. Michael Knifequist? Knifequist. Knifequist. Knife Quest. Knife Quest. Oh, I would watch a film. That sounds like an eighties retro classic, doesn't, doesn't it? It, it oh, does, man. doesn't it? Somebody make Knife Quest. See Thomas Howell in Knife, Knife Quest. Quest. <laughs> and it, had, it would have like a Knight Rider style theme tune. It would. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he's uh, in full Rugger Howard mode as this sort of royal mentor figure. Mm. Sort of a, a, a pre-slash-teacher-slash to, to Christina. And he's yeah. excellent in it. But uh, where they do drop the ball somewhat is... Where they do drop the ball somewhat is with um, Patrick Bichot. Do you know him at all? He's one of those. Know, no. You wouldn't know his name, but you sure as hell know his face. And how, he, are we, how are we spelling that? Uh, B-A-U-C-H-A-U. I remember him turning up as Chase's dad in House at one point. Because I can never tell if he's like Swedish or Australian. He could go either way. That guy. You know, that guy, that yeah. That guy, yeah. He yeah. turns up as Descartes. In this, you think, okay, yeah. Nah, do you know what? Yeah. That's that's almost too easy as far as casting goes. It's like it would be. It, it's like casting Morgan Freeman as a mentor. It's just too easy. But what are you, what are you glaring at in, in he's such in a big movie? ass spider? He is in big ass spider. Yeah. He is. See, yeah. everything comes back to that film. He is, he's the government <laughs> scientist in big ass spider. Yeah, uh, yeah. Doctor Lucas. Doctor Lucas. Dr. Okay, Lucas then, yeah. But that's it. I mean, the problem is directorially, it doesn't have much going on that you don't get on a sort of standard Sunday night made for TV period piece drama. Mm. But it is all about the story, and the problem is the story offers more interesting ideas, but keeps falling back on that love story. Of which you really only got, you know, the performances to carry it through. It's interesting enough, and it's engaging, and you will you'll like it in a fun, schlocky kind of a way. But the story's so interesting that it is a disappointment that they don't run further with it. Uh, okay. But uh, I did also think that some of the uh, it's it, the, the relationship brilliantly isn't played for titillation purposes, mm. but it's not, not a made-for-cable movie if you know what I mean. <laughs> but uh, it, it plays up the eroticism as opposed to the pornographic. Which yeah. is that's an admirable thing, I suppose. Definitely not tipping the velvet caliber, if you know what I mean. You are but. quite a big fan of tipping the velvet, it seems. I'm going to rewatch tipping the velvet. I've now not seen I it. That. I don't think I've seen it since it came out. It made me a big fan of Anna Chancellor. Yeah, yeah. I like Anna Chancellor. I, I, I like a bit of Anna Chancellor. Yeah, that's yeah. I almost said I like a bit of Anna Chancellor. Then, and uh, no, I've <laughs> I've nothing but uh, nothing, nothing but, but utter bile. contempt. Yeah, nothing but utter contempt for George Osborne. Hey, we keep dropping politics references into this show. Well, you know, EU referendums coming up. There is that. That's going to make a great film. Oh well, yeah. Who would you get to play Boris? Boris, Gary Busey. Oh. <laughs> Give him elocution lessons. We're laughing. I love the irony <laughs> that you would need someone to have elocution lessons to play Boris. <laughs> That's but, great. Anyway, well, news. News. Let's news. go. Let's round out with some news for the week. Then we've got we a couple of bitch to round us out. Oh, is it um, a couple of bitch then? I was going to say what? Couple of bitch. You got a couple of bitch, man. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that much of a player. Um, uh, Ocean's Ocho. Ocean's Ocho. Yes, yeah. I've got this. Which is now there. just Ocean's Eight. Is that now Ocean's Eight now? Yeah. Oh, uh, it's according to Gary Ross. Oh, okay. It's right. just being really open about it. He's like, yeah, we're making it. Me and Steven Soderbergh are like besties. BFFs, BFFs yeah. show. A um, couple of extra names. To so go on, go on. I, so, um, did, uh, we were talking about last week. We were talking about uh, Sandy B. Sandy B. Sandra Bullock. Katie B as well. Uh, Carte Blanche. Carte Blanche. Yeah. <laughs> Carte Blanche is we've in got, there. We've got Carte Blanche out on this. Yeah. Uh, Helen Bonham Carter. Yes, I like that. I like that. I do. You're not going to like the next one because I know you're not a big fan. Uh, Mindy Kaling. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. Although I do. I like her. I, 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 I okay. thought she added greatly to Inside Out, though. 
Yeah, she was really good. She was really discussed. fun in, in Inside Out. I thought she was a lot of fun. Uh, and um, uh, Elizabeth Banks. Also. Well, I'm 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 documented as being a big fan of Elizabeth Banks. Yeah, it's not surprising she's in it though cause because Gary Ross made Hunger Games. It's a um, film as well. Well, she yeah. seems to just be in everything right now, which is not a bad thing. But she's really good. Not a bad thing, but she was also in Walk of Shame, and and that was a bad thing. So <laughs> she was a producer on that. I as know well, she was. She? she got sued over that film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we were talking about this recently yeah, as well. Yeah. We're just a rehash. Uh, so Doug Lyman's adapting a new uh, YA series. Have you heard about this one? Um, well, I know it's not Gambit. It's not Gambit. <laughs> uh, he's adapting the YA series Chaos Walking, mm. and this just sounds bizarre. Who wrote this? Because it, it oh, wasn't written by someone it's really a interesting. British guy, uh, British author. I can't remember off the top of my head. But you, you look that up while I explain the premise, which is this takes place was... in a world where there are no women anymore. Yeah. And all the men are sort of psychically, all living things are psychically linked through a series of flashes, which are noises and images and words. Hmm. And it's called noise. And uh, yeah, this this is kind of, and it follows, of course, a pair of teenage protagonists. Have you found out who it was yet? Uh, Patrick Ness. Patrick Ness, that was it. Yeah. I did know that. But yes, Doug Lyman's going to direct that. Yeah, that should be interesting. He's he's always got a lot of things going on, hasn't he? Well, he's got the new uh, Tom Cruise film. Uh, is that Mena that's coming out? Uh, Luna. I think it's Mena. 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 I thought it was Luna. Where did you get Luna from? L U N A. I thought it was called Luna, but yeah. never mind. M E N A. M E N A. Okay, yeah. fine. Fine. I'll, I call that Mina, like Mina Savari. We can say Mina if you wish. Yeah. Mena or Mina. It's closer than Luna. Uh, Doug Lyman directed uh, Go, which I'm a big fan of. Yes, he did. I'm a big fan of Go. Yeah, I, um, I, I do enjoy Go. Um, um, I'm a fan of any film that gives Jay Moore work. <laughs> I like Jay Moore. I don't know why. You're the only person I know that likes Jay Moore. <laughs> I like Jay Moore so much that I watched two entire seasons of the now cancelled sitcom Gary Unmarried. Married, yeah, I remember that. Yep. Yeah. Although, hey, you know what? Again, that show gave Rob Riggle work. So I'm happy with that With that existing. I am. I think Rob Riggle needs his own show. He'll get one eventually. Eventually, yeah. yeah. He's had an interesting career. He was a US Marine. He was. Now he's an actor. Do you know, yeah. he also, he has cool. served He has served in the reserves for years whilst acting Whilst as doing well. it, yeah. Yeah. Because he only got out, he only finished his term recently, like this year. Yeah. Yeah. Ron Howard. We're going to talk about Ron Howard. Do you yes. know about this? Yes, I do. So he is reteaming with the producer and writer of Apollo 13. Amazing. To, yeah, to adapt a Neil Stevenson novel, Seven Eves. Do you know what this, this novel is about? I don't know what it's about. No, I knew what it was happening, but I don't know what it's about. This is a sci-fi novel that takes place over 5,000 years. In I know. In which the moon uh, goes nuts, breaks into like seven pieces, and threatens to blanket, and ki- blanket the Earth and kill all life on it. So the human race sends all of its inhabitants up to a space station called the Cloud Ark with um, a, a, a cryogenic database of human genomes, hmm. which uh, they're going to propagate through propagation. Are going to they're going to breed into a, a, a new generation of humanity? But through genetic evolution, they wind up with seven entirely different genetically engineered races of humans who must all 5000 years later venture back to the, uh, the the uninhabit the hostile and previously uninhabitable world earth which sounds kind of weirdly like uh, after earth a little bit little bit better but better it sounds like a cross between after earth and the 100 if you've yeah, ever seen that show yeah, kind of sounds like show. that yeah that's pretty but, cool uh, yeah so ron howard and he's writer and producer of uh, apollo 13 so yeah the thing is, it's Ron Howard, so you know he's going to be on the Vomit Comet to film this. Again, like he was with Apollo 13. <laughs> vomit Comet. 
Yeah. You know that's the actual name, right? Yes, I okay, do, yeah. Right, okay, yeah. No, the, the, the plane that they tra- train the astronauts in weightlessness. I've just yeah. remembered what it was called. <laughs> the vomit comet. <laughs> it made me laugh. Is that okay? Uh, have, you got, have you got any others? Got? Um, I have one that was rumoured, and now it's been confirmed, with added Margot Robbie. Okay. Oh, is this the A.A. Milne? A.A. Milne, yeah. Okay, so it was rumoured to um, star uh, Donald Gleeson. That's now yep. been confirmed, and now Margot Robbie is going to be playing his wife, which is pretty cool. Yes, yeah, so she this is. is the the creator. Goodbye, of, Christopher um, Robin, I believe. Uh, goodbye, Christopher Robin is what it's going to mm. be called. Uh, the creator uh, of, of course, Winnie the Pooh. Um, it's going to be focusing on A.A. Milne's uh, relationship with his son, and I think it'll be a really good project for Donald Gleeson to get some more like. Attention. He needs some mainstream exposure. It needs a lead role. Other than other, other than that little art film he was in last Christmas, do you remember? Um, space battles. Space battles. Space battles. Uh, awakening presence. <laughs> Yeah. Right, I'm going to go out. I'm, I'm going to go out on a bang with this piece of news. Which <laughs> okay, this is what, how you know what, what film is Uwe Boll. This is this is how you next. know. This is how you know the film industry has finally run out of ideas because we're actually recycling Family Guy sketches. What is it? <sighs> there is going to be a sequel to The Passion of the Christ. It is officially yes. happening. There is going to be a Passion of the Christ 2. We're finally going to get crucified. This time this. it's personal. Yeah, crucify yeah. this is going to happen. Mel Gibson is going to direct it. Randall Wallace is going to write it. I mean, I where do you go? I assume Jim Caviezel is going to come back for it. Well, not to spoil anything, but that's what happens. Well, yeah, you would you would imagine. I just are they going to get Jim Caviezel back? Because Person of Interest ends next week, so he's. I feel he's like free. out of everyone involved, I don't think that he's the most high profile. <laughs> like, I think so. I think it's more impressive to get Mel Gibson. I tell you something. To get JC, the Academy are dreading this film because when it happens, it means they are kind of going to have to invite Mel Gibson to the Oscars the following year. Well, I don't know. The last that... one didn't get too much love. Well, no, it didn't. But now it would. I think if you did it now, it might. Yeah. I think I think there's more of an immediate uh, worry about his latest film. Well, yeah, isn't that Hacksaw Ridge? Uh, Hacksaw Ridge, which yeah. is uh, it's got Andrew Garfield and someone else really surprising. I forgot Sam Worthington's in it. Vince Vaughn's in it, isn't it? That's who it is. Yeah, Vince, Vince Vaughn. Vaughn. Vince Vaughn is in it, but yeah, it's it's is it about a it's like a disgraced uh, marine or something. Like yeah, that? he was a deserter or something, wasn't he? A deserter. Mm. Yeah, but that's that's got like awards. Kind of all over it, really, hasn't it? It has. I, I really Andrew want Garfield needs a nomination, man. He's he's got that. He's got Silence coming up. I've I've still not seen uh, Ninety Nine Homes. Yeah, oh, I, I, I will. Really I will see good it. I feel like just people didn't give it much of a chance. No, but it's got Michael Shannon, so I will watch it. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I I really want Mel Gibson to have a comeback because I miss Mel. Gibson. I don't miss Mel Gibson the director particularly, although he was a perfectly fine director. I miss Mel Gibson the movie star. I really do. He was a great movie star. He's got a film coming up which is essentially taken in the desert. Sold. Say I no more. I what it's called, but he's, he's a tattoo artist <laughs> who has his own trailer slash tattoo parlour. Did, did you know, right, do you remember the, uh, the the cameo incident with uh, Hangover 2? You know Mel Gibson was meant to cameo as the tattoo artist in Hangover 2? No, I didn't know that. Did you not know the story? No. Well, in the actual movie, it's Nick Cassavetes who yeah. did it. Right, the story went, Mel Gibson was in line, was, was all committed to turn up in a cameo, which Nick Cassavetes now played, in Hangover 2 as the tattoo artist. That does the, does the face that tattoo. That does the face tattoo. Yeah. Right. Mel Gibson was all set to go. 
And the three actors who make up the central, you know, central three roles mm. of, of the Hangover refuse to work with him because this was after one of his latest incidents. They refused. It was quite fresh in my mind. It's quite fresh in my mind. They refused to have anything to do with him. And, wow. And now I, I remember at the time thinking, but Mike Tyson, yeah, yeah, fine. Mike Tyson, that's fine, but yeah. yeah. And I, I just remember thinking, really, Zach Galifianakis is going to lord his <laughs> morals over Mel Gibson, really. Like Ed Helms, I can probably understand because he seems like quite a you know principled Democrat type. But like Bradley Cooper, I'm taking lessons in morals from Bradley Cooper. Mm. I'm taking lessons in morals from a guy that starred in Failure to Launch in a supporting <laughs> role, no less. Yeah. You were the sidekick in a Matthew McConaughey, Sarah Jessica Parker rom com, and pre- you're giving me you're giving me moral lessons. Not a chance. You're pal. acting like you are Mel Gibson. <clears throat> <laughs> I do not, that should have been it. The should should part... we finish it before you say something anti Semitic? <laughs> okay, sugar, let's <laughs> carry on. <laughs> right, the weird part was um, that when Mel Gibson was, was told, no, we don't want you because they don't want you, yeah. um, they then tried to get Liam Neeson to do it. And okay. Liam Neeson danced around it for a little while. And he, he loves a cameo. He loves a cameo. He didn't do it in the end. It then went to Nick Cassavetes. Who was just a but, guy. Uh, but of course, we all know who should have done the cameo in, uh, in, in The Hangover 2. Should have been your boy, Nicholas Cage. My, my boy, my lad. Should have been Nicky Cage, man. Yeah. Sir Nicholas of Cage. On which note, here it is, your moment of Cage. You're hurting me. Kendall, I think you're having another off day. Who the hell are you? I'm her future. Really? <laughs> Incoming. 